If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I do want to, uh, first of all, thank Wesley for sharing his heart this morning. And uh, I tell you, it's been quite a journey for their family. But it's so cool to see how God has won the victory in so many different ways that they never imagined God would work out in the way he did it. And I think many of us have that testimony here today, uh, that we have seen God work, work mightily in our lives. And uh, really, the only way we can do, the only thing we can do is respond to it. We can't earn it, that's for sure. Well, next week is Easter, and I do want to invite you to invite someone to come. Uh, I think it's just a great opportunity. A lot of people show up for Easter for some reason, around Christmas. And uh, if you do not use this as an opportunity to invite those to come, you'll miss a great opportunity because many people are open to going to church on Easter. And uh, so I hope you'll take the opportunity to do that. I know many times we do a series as we move into Easter. This year, uh, we've pretty much dedicated the whole Easter theme to one Sunday. And so next week, we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday, which is today represents Palm Sunday and how it runs in all the way to the resurrection. And we're going to open all that up next week. Uh, we're also going to have communion. So I ask you to come prepared as we come to the Lord's table uh, that we would be prepared for communion next week. And so I hope you'll make a point to do that. Now, let me tell you a little bit about next week. There's only a 930 and 11 o'clock service right here in this room. Uh, we have child care for preschoolers, but we're inviting the children to join us next Sunday. We think communion is a beautiful th way for families to, to share around the table, to understand more fully uh, what Christ has done on our behalf. And so parents, it's a great learning tool uh, for your children. And uh, if your grandchildren are not going to church anywhere next Sunday, load them up and bring them with you uh, next Sunday. You can do the same thing with them. And so we hope you'll be a part of that next Sunday. Well, today we're continuing kingdom culture. And if you look at this series introduction, I want you to skip down to the next paragraph. I think you're tired of hearing the first paragraph. Uh, we've discussed it for many, many weeks, but look, look there. It says, we exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world by creating a culture where, these are the ones we've already covered, Jesus is our lead story, scripture and prayer prime, worship is a lifestyle, we are family, we is greater than me, and then today we're talking about the whole idea of motivation and responding to what God has done. We get to verse or is greater than we got to. And now I know that's not proper English, but it works here, okay? So we get to is greater than we got to. Look at the continuation there. We believe serving in the local body of Christ is not optional to, for those who follow Jesus because our service is worship when it's done in a way that brings honor and glory to him. However, when it comes to serving God and people, obligation should not be our motivation. We were lost and dead when the love of God came and found us. Now we are alive and free. We do not serve because we have got to or have to. We serve because we get to. And y'all, that is the response that we have to what he's done for us. It is in that service we get to. We want to exceed expectation while serving in the power of God's power and with the joy that he gives. We are followers of Jesus. Therefore, no ask is too big and no role is too small. Therefore, serving in his kingdom is not a pain. It's a privilege. We bring our best. We are proactive and we take initiative because Jesus brings change when we and we embrace flexibility. 
We may not be in control of every, uh, every environment, but we want to inject positivity and life into every situation. We rise above feelings, choose joy, and lead and follow from a source greater than ourselves. Lastly, we know from Scripture that Christ will judge our service to God. If our service is not motivated by a love for Him and a heart to bring Him glory, then we could stand before Him with nothing to show for our lives. That is a potential uh, thing that it could be out there for us. So look at the introduction. Once we've laid the proper foundation by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we then begin to spend the rest of our lives building on that foundation. This construction, listen, is our life's work, fulfilling his commandment to reach our community and the world. Now think about this. Wouldn't you say that Jesus, and many of you know this, Jesus came, lived on this earth for 33 years, best we can tell. Now, what's interesting about that is at the end of that 33 years, he had a commandment that he gave all of us. Now, wouldn't you think someone as important as Jesus is, the God-man who left heaven, came to earth, gave us a message, gave us his sacrifice, wouldn't you say that one of the very last things that he would say would be very important? How many of you would agree with that? It would be very important, especially if he gave instruction, and he did. Look at what he said in Matthew 28. We know this. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." I'm there. You can count on me being there. I'm there for you. So really, when you think about this, put it in the context of where we're going today. What is the driving force that motivates us, that compels us, that causes us to react, to respond to the command given by Jesus himself to reach the world? What motivates you? And if nothing motivates you, what, what's the problem? Because we've been given this mandate, not only as a church, we've been given that mandate as individuals to go and share the gospel. John Stott is a modern theologian, and this is what he writes. Look at the quote here. The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission. Now think about this. It's on a deeper level. Listen, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing. Let me just say that. All that is so important. That's, they, these things are definitely what Jesus wants to get our minds and hearts around. But he says this, but rather there's something higher. It is a, a zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. That's why we bring the fulfillment of, his, of, of this command. Therefore, the motive for missions, the motive for reaching people, the motive for reacting to the Great Commission is to bring people into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, so they can also bring glory to the one who created them. That's what it's all about. This mission team going to Guatemala, there's, there's never been a mission team that's been sent out of here that we haven't heard of someone giving their life to Jesus Christ, someone who's motivated to, to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Guess what? That means another one's been added to bring in glory to their creator, to the one that we serve. And so this, this next week, as they go out on Friday and as they go to serve, they're going there to, to have a, a, a passion for the lost. They're going there because they are, have a zeal for serving Jesus Christ. But really, the bottom line is they're going there to get others to come into the kingdom so they also can bring glory to his name. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
there's something else going on also. It's interesting that we, many times when we think of missions or when we think of evangelism, we think of individuals doing that. And that's so true. The mandate really does come to individuals. But it's also been given to the church. And guess what? We as believers make up the church. And so Paul is giving this, uh, uh, the, the bigger picture of how evangelism and missions and, and serving God can look like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Paul writes, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. And he's looking back and he's basically looking at responding to God's love, responding to his sacrifice, living in the grace in which he brought to his life. Here's what he says. It was given to me. Now he says, I am a wise master builder. The word there, master builder, is literally architect. That's how we would see. And he would say, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. It's interesting when you look at the context of the church, of the local church, especially this one, the one named Putnam Baptist Church. It's amazing that back in 1949, there were those who gathered who said there needs to be a church in this community. And from that, there was a great sacrifice that was given. Uh, There's still several church charter members who were back there during that day. They may have been children or whatever, but there's still some that are around. And what's interesting is they said, you know something, there needs to be something here. There needs to be a light in this community. And so let's start a church. Now we fast forward 60 some years later and guess what? We're still here. And there's been sacrifices back there. There's been sacrifices that were made 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And even sacrifices that are going on today to continue the mission that God started in people's heart back in 1949. But y'all, it goes further than that. It goes all the way back to when Jesus was was there and he hung on a cross and the sacrifice. And, And by the way, did you know that the church was built on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? It was built on that. And so therefore, that is the foundation. And Paul was saying, hey, I'm building on this foundation and others are following me. And guess what? You fast forward 2,000 years and we're still building on that foundation here in this community locally. And so he goes on, he says, and and by the way, let me say this. Did you know others have built on the foundation to the point that's even cost them their lives? I've been reading some of Jim Elliott's uh, journal. You remember him? He lost his life reaching people. And, and, and it's interesting to hear the zeal and the passion this man had for the lost. And that he was willing to give his life for that. There's been so many others who have done that. But then he says this. He's talking about building on the foundation. There's been so many before us. And then he says this. There's, there's a warning here. There's something here. But let each one take heed. It means be careful. Carefully evaluate how he or she builds on it. He's basically saying there's something that awaits out there. And you need to be careful how you serve and what motivates you to serve. And if you're even serving, he goes on, for no other foundation can anyone lay. There's nothing that even compares that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The only building, listen, the building, and many of you know this, the building is only as good as the foundation. You can have the most magnificent, beautiful building. But if the foundation is nothing, it's coming down at some point. The foundation we're building on is eternal. It's based on the eternal existence of Jesus Christ himself. So we have the foundation. Paul explains this to us. After the foundation is laid, then you need to consider the materials you'll use to build the structure. 
And so look on your outline. We have the examination of our materials. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 12. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation that Christ has set forth, with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw. Now when you read this, this part of the verse, you look at it and you think, oh my goodness, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's six things that are mentioned here. There's actually two categories that are mentioned here. The first category, look on your outline, is gold, silver, and precious stone. And so let's attribute what we, what we know about what Paul is writing. He's talking about motivation for building. And so let's just say that gold could represent our spiritual service we accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we're building on this foundation through the local church. We're building on that foundation and that what we accomplish the Holy Spirit, that is our spiritual service to him. Let's say that silver could represent our sacrificial service our sacrificial giving into what we know God has called us to. And again, we're building. We're building on that foundation. Now, let's just say that the precious stone could represent our steadfastness and our faithfulness in our service. You see, all these things represent beauty. All these things represent dignity. All these things represent something that is lasting. But then we come to the second category. The first thing we see there listed is wood. And let's just say it could represent serving God in our own strength. There's service there, but it's not something empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not something born out of the Holy Spirit. It's born out of who we are. And guess what? The Bible doesn't call that as something valuable. It calls it as something that we would refer to as wood. And then there's hay. Some of your translations say grass. And it could represent serving as long as it does not cost much or interfere with what I think is more important. You realize there's a lot of people who serve, and they carefully evaluate. <laughs> and this is sad, but many of us do this. I've done this in my life before. And what they do is they say, you know something, I'll serve as long as it doesn't cost me too much. As long as there's not anything out there that's more important, I'll serve. Y'all, that, that, that's not going anywhere. That's not eternal. It may be needed in the church. We need some warm bodies, but that's not the motivation that should come from our hearts. And then there's straw. What some translations say stubble. It's literally after the wheat fields. Uh, people have gone through the wheat fields and they've gotten the good wheat. It's what's left over. And a lot of people, when they come to God and they, they serve him, maybe this represents the leftovers of their time or not caring enough to call when, they, when they're called to serve and they can't make it. I was talking to some of the children's workers this past week and some of the preschool workers, and I was astounded to even hear this. And it blows my mind that some people who have responsibility, they don't even call and let them know if they're not coming. I, that just blows my mind that someone would do that. Listen, we've been called. This is the body of Christ there's a foundation that's been laid and we're building on that and we need to take it seriously. And so therefore, I mean, think about it. Is it gold? Is it silver? Is it precious stone? Or is it wood? Is it hay? Is it straw? What are you using to build? Here's a footnote. In the future, there's one of two appointments we will be made to keep. Both are judgments. The great white throne judgment is a judgment, a condemnation by fire. Now, let me just say this about the great white throne. I'm not going to get all, I'm, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on these. 
The great white throne judgment is a very serious judgment. It actually happens, if you look at it in the context of scripture, it actually happens at the end of time. Because what you have is, how many of you realize that we, the, the, the reality in which we live is a reality of time? Before time existed, there was eternity. And guess what? When time ends, guess what's going to be there? Eternity. And so there's a period of time. We're living in time. And if you look carefully in the book of Revelation, you see the end times. And what you see just before or just outside of time is this thing called the great white throne judgment. It's the only thing that we know that's out there. It's an appointment that we know that's out there. So we would probably say it's in time. And at that great white throne judgment, here's what you need to understand. Those who show up will be those who are sentenced to condemnation. It's what we would call hell. And so all of a sudden, you've got this whole idea of those who gather, millions will gather before God. Millions upon millions will be standing there. And it's a simple sentencing of eternal condemnation. What an awful judgment that is. And that's for the unbeliever. But guess what? Believers. Did you know there's an appointed time for you also? Did you know there's going to be a judgment for you also? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, yeah, we're going to stand before Christ. He will be the judge there. We will literally stand before Christ. And and, and basically what will happen, and we're getting ready to read this, is everything that we've done, he laid the foundation. He gave us our salvation. That's when we became a believer. All of a sudden, here's what he's going to ask. The simple question will be this. What did you do with your life's work? What did you do as it related to the kingdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Each one's work, is your life's work, will become clear for that day. Anytime you see day capitalized, it's referring to one or two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. It's one of the two. In this, this context, it's the judgment seat of Christ. It says, will become clear for the day. And it will declare it. It will reveal it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work. Each one's life work. Of what sort it is. And it goes back. This goes back to the two categories in verse 12. It's referring to gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and straw. Now... Think of this. Everything we've ever done for the cause of Christ will come into question. Everything. Everything. Now, let me just say this. I believe there are two categories of people sitting here today, really. And I'm talking about two categories of believers. Those who are serving, and God bless those who serve. Man, we, this church would not be possible if people didn't serve. There's those who are serving, and then there's those who are not serving. And maybe you think, well, I gave my time. I gave my time. (laughs) There's still time remaining. (laughs) There's still so much more to do. And the thing that we need to realize is you're sitting here today, and my question to you is, do you realize you're going to stand before Christ? Your life's work, your life's work is not your career necessarily. Now, can you use your career to bring glory to God? Yes, and I thank God that there's so many who do. But this is the whole context of the church. It's it's the life work of getting his name out. Listen, everything we have ever done for the cause of Christ is going to come into question at that judgment. Every sermon preached, every prayer prayed, every song sung, every lesson taught, every mission trip, every act of kindness will be evaluated. 
persuaded. How many of you find that kind of unnerving? But it will. It will. How will it be evaluated? It will all come down to our motives. Look at your outline, the manifestation of our motives. Let's just say, and I've shared this with you before, this type of illustration. Let's say that one day my wife Tina comes home. And I've emptied the dishwasher, washed and folded the clothes, vacuumed the house, mopped the floor, and cleaned the bathroom. Now, y'all, that's a big stretch for me. I'm just going to tell you. But let's suppose I did that. She sees what I've done, and she praises me. And she's like, honey, I can't believe you did this. And then I say something like this. Would you mind if I go and play golf now? How do you think she's really going to view all the things I did? You know, in her mind, she may be thinking, why couldn't he just said that that was just a response of the love that he has for me? Why was there an ulterior motive? I mean, think about it. I did good up to a certain point, right? But my motive was not right. Let's carry it a step further. God, I went to church last week. On, money, on Monday, I gave a homeless person a meal. I was back at church on Wednesday and I helped out in the children's department. God, do you think you can manage working out for me an opportunity to get that car I've always wanted? You may laugh at that, but you'd be amazed at how many people look at God through that lens. Y'all, he's already done everything we could ever ask. It's a response to that love. It's a response to that great sacrifice that he had on our behalf. And, and, and what will we do with it? Will we, will we plea bargain our, our motives? I mean, what will we do? Here's a footnote. To God, why we do something is just as important as what we do. Men, did you know if you ask your wife, they'd say that's true for them too. It, it's not just what you do. It's why do you do? Next, our motives are chosen. Got to versus get to. You choose the motives you have. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, if you, there's a phrase there that says it reveal the counsels of the heart. It, 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 here's what it, counsel means to will deliberately, to have a purpose that is minded. Uh, it, it could translate as secret motives. The idea presented here in this verse is that the individual chooses his or her motives. Now think of this. Some things in life, we don't have a choice. You didn't have a choice who your parents would be. You didn't have a choice what color your eyes would be. Unless I guess you get those contacts or something. I don't know. You didn't have a choice whether you were created a man or a woman. Now, some of you are like, well, that, that's a little. No, I said created as that. Okay? And it's amazing when you think about it. But you do have a choice when it comes to your motives. Why do you do what you do? So look at 1 Corinthians and I want you to uh, look at uh, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Paul says this. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. What Paul is saying is, he's basically saying that I've looked at my life, I've evaluated my life, and f from what I can tell by where my life is and everything, I, I think everything's okay. I think my motives are pure. 
But it's almost like when he says, yet I'm not justified by this, he's relieved that his salvation does not depend on whether he carefully evaluated that clearly. Now, here's what you need to know as far as the context of what he's writing. There were those in the Corinthian church who were questioning his motives. Were questioning whether he was trying to benefit himself through the gospel. And Paul was addressing this. Now, think about this when it comes to motives. When it comes to seeing things the way they need to be seen. One day, a man was walking through a building project. When he came upon a man on the site who was, who was mixing concrete and water. He asked the man, what are you doing? The man, wiping the sweat from his face, responded, I'm just making cement out of this water and mud. The man continued to walk until he found another worker doing the same job. He asked him the same question, what are you doing? The man stopped and looked up in the sky and responded, I'm building a beautiful skyscraper. Now think about that. The first man, he couldn't see the big picture. The first man, he, he, he was under the job. It was one of them things where he told and he, he, he just, I'm just here to do my job. I'm just here to fill my time, doing my part in all this. But the other man doing the exact same job, what was his perspective? I'm a part of building something great here. Why is it that so many Christians, so many believers in Christ, so many who have been, who've been touched by the love of God, how is it that they can come and they can help build? And the Bible's talking about the whole context of building something and as it relates to the church. How is it that they can come and experience that love that's so great, that sacrifice just that delivered our souls? How is it that they can come to, to a place of service and say, well, I'm just doing all I can here. Bless my heart. I tell you, these kids are about to drive me absolutely crazy. I can't believe I signed up for this. Or is it that view of, man, I'm telling you one thing. Eternity's sitting out there. I tell you some, one thing. When I stand before my God, I'm, 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 just, I'm just thankful for the privilege to serve him. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? I mean, look at what he did for me. Think about what we're attempting to do here at this church. If we approached you while you were serving in our children's department and asked, what are you doing? What would your response be? Well, I'm keeping these children because no one else would sign up. And Kenny begged me. <laughs> you, think, you think that's God honoring? Is that the correct response to all that God's done for you? Or is it what are you doing? Well, I just see so much potential in this child. I believe one day this child is going to touch the world for the kingdom of God. I just see so much in this child. And this one over here, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, they're strong will, but I'm telling you one thing. If God, if God could ever get a hold of their heart and turn it in the right direction, I'm just privileged that, that I can have the privilege to work with these children because there's no telling what God's going to do with their life. Plus, by the way, did I tell you what he did for me? Why do you do what you do? Our motives are chosen. Next, our motives are covered. But God sees all. 
Our service on the outside may look like gold to others, but may be hay in God's eyes. God sees the motives, the intentions of the heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 4 again, the second part. But he who judges me is the Lord. Paul is saying, don't judge my motives. Let me just tell you, let him judge me. And if there's anything wrong there, he'll let me know. But you, you can't really judge my motives, just like I can't really judge your motives. Therefore, judge nothing, verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, until we stand at that judgment, who will bring both to light the hidden things. In verse 5, we read the hidden things. Our motives are hidden from others. This is the reason we should not judge other people's motives. We do not truly know what's at the core of who they are or what their motives may be. But keep in mind that God not only sees our motives, he's going to judge them going to judge them. Next, our motives are quite often corrupted. How are they corrupted? By the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says this. It says, bring to light the hidden things of darkness. That means there's something that's dark there. It doesn't necessarily mean that something that's evil. It just means something that is unknown. And it's talked about and it reveals the counsels, the motives of the heart. In verse 5 again, the hidden things of darkness. Paul is talking about motives that have come under suspicion because the agenda is wrong and they have alternative, uh, ulterior motives in mind. Many times our motives become corrupted because of our desire for praise and recognition. Think of this. Do you realize as a Christian, unless you are filled under the control of the Holy Spirit, that your motives can greatly deceive you? Did you know that? Why do you do what you do? Is it because you have a fear of failure? Is it because you have a fear of rejection? Is it because you're consumed with shame and you don't know what to do with it, so you just serve, serve, serve to try to feel something you could never make up to God? Is it through your shame that you serve? Sometimes we're not aware of what's motivating us. But let me tell you this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, go back there, look at verse 13. Each one's work, each one's life's work will become clear on the day, the judgment of Christ. And and it will be declared, it will be revealed because it was revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Next, the evaluation of our management. The footnote there is one day the one who created us will judge our life's work. We do know that. Now fire, what we just seen, fire is the symbol of testing and judgment. Fire purifies, purifies. It discerns what is worthless and what is valuable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says at the last part of verse 5, it says this. Then each one's praise will come from God. But let's look at this. Look on your outline. Is your life's work enduring? Is it rewardable? (laughs) Is your life's work rewardable? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 14. It says, if anyone's work which has been built on it, talking about the foundation, endures, he will receive a reward. What do we need to keep in check? Our motives, our conduct, and the selflessness of our service. What does it look like? Number two, or is our life's work loss, unrewardable? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be terrible to know that you're a believer in Christ and you stand before the judgment of Christ and you're standing there and there was nothing in your life that was deemed as being rewardable. What a sad commentary. 
It says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer. Some translations say great loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You know what that means? It means this. You may have salvation. You may have been given the opportunity. You responded to the love of Christ through your salvation. And all of a sudden, when it came to your life's work, your response to that love, all of a sudden, the foundation was laid right there in front of you. And everything you put on that foundation was worthy of being burned up because the motive wasn't right. The conduct wasn't right. It wasn't from a sacrificial heart. And all of a sudden, you stand there, and it's totally consumed. Gone. Not enduring great loss and you thought there would be more to it let me say this I believe there are those who are doing great service as it relates to what we need in the church at times but God's really the one that's going to determine whether it was great service and let me tell you another side to this and I'm going to be pretty bold with you this morning some of you are not even trying you, you almost act like there's nothing that you should respond to. The foundation of your salvation is secure, but the potential of your life's work, it rests with you. What is your perspective of your life's work? Why is our perspective of our life's work not as God wishes? It's a matter of the heart. Here's what John Piper thinks. Listen to this. John Piper writes that this is the heart of most people. The greatness of God, greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The beauty of God is not treasured. The commandments of God are not obeyed. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. And the person of God, listen, is not loved. That's the heart of many believers. Here's the conclusion. Relating to our life's work and rewards, what is really at stake? One word, and it's very biblical, crowns, crowns. I'm going to run through some verses very quickly. Did you know you're capable of receiving a crown, a reward from God? Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4, I'm going to go quickly. Finally, there's, this is Paul, finally there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, that judgment seat of Christ. And not only to me, but also all those who love his appearing. James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter chapter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And then all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but I cannot for the life of me picture me, if I'm, if I'm worthy to have crowns, I can't picture myself with a stack of crowns on my head and me strutting through heaven. I cannot imagine that. So therefore, we come to Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. And the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting. Many commentators, and I agree with them, believe that these 24 thrones, not everybody agrees with this. Some people believe it represents the 12 apostles and the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I believe it represents us who are believers. You know why I do? Because of the next words there. It says, I saw 24 elders sitting and they had thrones. By the way, the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him. 
That, that's biblical. And then it says this, they were clothed in white robes. Do you know who's clothed in white robes in heaven? The people who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the righteousness of Christ has been placed on them. That is, is what that is. And then it says, and they had on their crown, on their heads, crowns of gold. And here it is, the 24 elders, I believe it's us. After that great white throne, I mean, after that great judgment seat of Christ, we've been given these rewardable things. They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And look at what they're doing and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord. You know what that literally means? Only you are worthy to wear anything rewardable in this place. And he goes on, he says, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Wow, what a worship service. You think this was a good worship service? Can you imagine taking your life's work, your life's work, and placing it at the foot of Jesus? What a response. But there's going to be some of us who have nothing to lay there. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it. You got your salvation, you're in heaven but you're only observing because you didn't have life's work. You know what the Bible says about that? Great loss. How many of you have ever lost something that meant more to you than anything in the world? Maybe a family member, someone you deeply loved. What came with it? Grief. Grief. I mean, your heart, the welling. It was just more than you can handle. It consumed you at times. That's the description that's given here. Now, does that mean we're going to be in that state for eternity? I don't. I don't believe that. Because the Bible says in another place, he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. Amen. And, and guess what? We're all there. We're all there. But let me tell you this, y'all. This is the thing. There will be that moment where it will hurt. Can you imagine seeing him as he truly is? Can you imagine seeing our life's work as it truly is? I don't know where you are today, but here's the application. What are you doing with what God has given you? What is your motivation for serving him? Is it get to or got to? Will your service or life's work be lasting or lost? Where are you today? Would you stand with me? Father, we just come to you now and Lord, a sermon like this is so difficult. I don't know the hearts that are in front of me. You said I can't judge their motives. I don't know their motives. I don't know how they're responding to the love that you shed abroad in their hearts, to the sacrifice that you, you gave on your behalf. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll do a work in their life, Lord. It can only be by you. I pray that one day out there in the future that, that maybe the Holy Spirit of God moves so much in their life in this service that, that maybe it motivated them to be all that you called them to be, that the gifts that you gave them, the talents that you gave them, the resources that you gave them, were those things in which they began to give in their life's work to you. They built on that foundation. They began to see it flourish. And one day they're going to stand before you. And Father, you're going to place rewards on their head. But Father, for that person that's here today, maybe they don't have anything there. If they were to be honest, they would say there's nothing there. Maybe that person that's here today that says, you know something, I've made my life's work so much about me. 
God's, he's given me resources. God, he's given me time. He's given me talents. He's given me gifts. But I never really did anything with it. And when I did, it was about me. Lord, I want to wear a crown. <laughs> I want to wear several crowns. Not so I can prance around heaven, but because I want to be a part of the greatest worship service that ever existed or ever will exist. Me laying my life's work before you as a response to your love because I get to and not got to. Father, have your way in this invitation in Jesus' name. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. We're going to be here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, altar's open. Just do what God's calling you to do this morning. Would you do that? Ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Father, we just come to you now. And again, thank you for just a privilege to serve you, Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, <laughs> um, life can get so busy and we can get so distracted. Lord, I pray that today we've been able to evaluate where we are in our life. And it, if it requires changes and things that need to happen, I pray you make that known to us. Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as only you can to help us attempt, make our attempts to, to build on that foundation, my Lord. Whether it's in Guatemala or Nepal or wherever it may be, Father, that you just give us a heart to serve you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 